Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. John chapter 7, as we continue our study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, interesting enough, we're going to backtrack chronologically a little bit. We're gonna, uh, we've got to backtrack before we can go forward. As part of John chapter 7 actually happens prior to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62, which we talked about last week, it, it was kind of one of those bridges that you come across or crosses in the road where I was like, well, part of Luke has uh, got to happen before part of John happens, and then I got to go back to Luke, and I was just kind of trying to figure out how to do that, so I just went with Luke. I'm sure you'll forgive me for being out of chronology, but um, we'll do part, part of it, we'll, uh, and I'll let you know when, when that Luke part happens and you can probably figure it out if you were here last week and heard the sermon that Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem and he was on his way down through Samaria. But um, today we'll talk about what happened prior to that a little bit. Um, so if you would stand with me, we're going to read John chapter 7, verses 1 through 13 together. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to, the, to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And this is where Luke chapter 9 would come in. Um, then the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that we can have it openly on our laps this morning. That, that we have the freedom to do that. We pray, God, as we have that freedom that we also give you freedom to come into our hearts this morning and speak directly into our lives. We are here to worship you, God. We are here to hear from you. And we are opening our hearts up even now and saying, you're the king of my life. Come in and change me and make me more like Jesus. That's our prayer, God. Help us to see your son clearly this morning. As difficult as it is in a world that is so confused about who Jesus is, Lord, May your word speak truth into our lives this morning. And may we clearly see your son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my message this morning is The Mutterings of Men. The Mutterings of Man. What we find in our text is much muttering, as verse 12 said. And there was much muttering about, uh, about him among the people. The word mutter, it literally means to complain or to murmur. It's meant to describe that people that are discontent and are complaining about something, or in this case, someone. Newsflash. 
People love to complain. Did you know that? You know that that's just in our DNA. There's a complaint gene, apparently, and we all have it, and we love to complain. Now, this has been a favorite pastime of every human being that has ever lived on the face of the earth. People love to complain. No doubt when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, <laughs> there was some complaining going on. This is hard, Lord. Why did you do this to me? You know, and blaming God. That's what we do oftentimes, and yet it's because of our own choices. So uh, today we're going to see three different kinds of people complaining. We're going to find those who are discontent. Those who are discontent with Jesus because of his lack of capitalizing on the hype of his miracles. They don't like the way that Jesus is working. They would rather him be much more public and he's been much more private. And we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. The discontent. Then we have the different. Who, that word literally means those who are respectful of Jesus. Those who look at Jesus and they say, oh Jesus, you're, you're, you're a good man. The, those people that would respect Jesus and yet they are still disappointed in him in some way, shape, or form. He's not showing himself like they would like him to, to, to be. Where is he, they would say. Then we have the despisers. These people think Jesus is just a flat-out fake. They are not really, don't have much to say other than he is, he is a deceiver. He is a, he is a liar. The first thing that we find in our text this morning is the catalyst for complaining. In verse 1, check it out with me. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. That would be the occasion for the complaining. Now, as we begin in verse 1, it sets a time frame for us. It helps us to see that it was, notice, after this. After what? Well, after John chapter 6. Jesus, after he had said, I am the bread of life. That statement, by the way, Jesus declaring that He is God who came down from heaven. That He is I Am. And there are seven I Am statements in the book of John. You might go to eight. I like the eight version because He says, before Abraham was I Am. I can consider that a, an I Am statement as well. But, but here's the deal. When Jesus said I Am, He was saying, I Am God. I Am God. And as He declared that to those people and and you remember in John chapter 6, we went through it a long time ago because it's a period of about six months that has elapsed between the end of John chapter 6 and the beginning of John chapter 7. We've been taking, we've been in all the other gospels dealing with the, all the different things that Jesus had been doing in Galilee. Now we come back to John chapter 7 after John as he's writing. He, he, again, these aren't chronology. They're not writing in uh, chronological order. They are writing in event kind of mode. They're, John's purpose in his gospel is for what? what is, who is he trying to present Jesus as? As who? God. As God. So John's purpose in writing is to present Jesus as God. He's not so much worried about every event and how it happened. He's worried about the, the things that Jesus says as it relates to his deity. As the, him being the divine Godhead. Part of the divine Godhead. And so... After these things, six months or so, we know it's been about six months because John chapter 6 happens during Passover, sometime around April or so. It is now, we see here in the verse, it tells us it's the Feast of Booths. That happens sometime in September, October. So it's been a period of, of about six months that Jesus is now uh, going, uh, you know, he's being challenged to go to Judea. But he won't go to Judea. Why? It tells us here that 
the Jews, this is speaking, when John uses that term, by the way, the Jews, he's generally speaking about the religious leaders. Although sometimes he's speaking about the collectively, the people of Israel. But for the most part, when he says the Jews, he's speaking about the religious people, the religious leaders. It's the religious leaders that want to kill Jesus. Primarily because of uh, the way that he was living his life, it was, it was contrary to the laws of the land, to the man-made rules that they had made up. That, that was a little bit of an irritant, I think, to them. But the real reason why they wanted to kill Jesus, the main reason was because who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God. They didn't like that. They called that blasphemy. We see that recorded in John's gospel a little bit earlier on in John chapter 5, verse 18. It tells us that this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, the man-made rules that they had, that he wasn't, applying, he wasn't living it out the way that they wanted him to, he would heal people on the Sabbath as if God wouldn't do that. He, you know, they would do no work on the Sabbath. But he was breaking their Sabbath. But he was even calling God his own father, listen, making himself equal with God. Now, that was the main culprit that was getting Jesus in trouble with the Jews, with the religious leaders, because he was making himself equal to God. Now, you can only make yourself equal to God if you are God. You can't make yourself equal to God if you're not God. I could tell you, uh, I don't even want to say that. I don't want to be struck down by lightning, but you got the point. Thank you for saving my life right there. But here's the thing is Jesus was telling them, I am God. I'm God in the flesh. The Bible declared that God in the flesh would come. Emmanuel, Isaiah wrote about it. He said, God in the flesh, God with us is Jesus Christ. He came. You can only say this kind of stuff if you're God. The kind of stuff that Jesus said can only come from somebody who has, who has a divine background, who is God himself. The kind of claims that Jesus made. And this plays an important role in our message as we move on here. Jesus was staying away from Judea and he was really sticking to the outskirts of Galilee. But now it's feast time. It's time for the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, the same thing. The idea was that um, during this time, they, the, 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 the Jewish people would come together and they would camp out. This was a big camping trip. It was like a church camping trip. You know, the children of Israel would go outside, they would pitch their tents and they would sleep on their roofs, and they would sleep in the streets. They would follow different rituals during this feast. They would go out and draw water from the, from, from, uh, you know, the pool of Siloam or whatever, Bethsaida, whatever they were by, and then they would also light candles during the night. The whole point of this, for seven days, by the way, was that they would remember the exodus of Egypt that they would remember the children of Israel during the 40-day wander, that they didn't live in houses. They weren't building houses. They were living in tents. And, and they would oftentimes bring their families out into these tents and they would lay and there would be some, some sort of a gap in between the tent and, the, and, the, and the, the sky so that you could look out and you could tell your children how great of a God we serve. And how awesome He is that He would create all these things and how He delivered the children of Israel all the way through um, from Egypt, all the way into the promised land, just like he said he would. And so that was the whole point of the Feast of, um, the feast of, the, uh, of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this was, the, this was the, most, this the most attended feast out of all the feasts. 
the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and then the Feast of Booths. Those are the three main feasts. The Feast of Tabernacles would be one of the most well-attended actual um, feasts. So there, there becomes uh, you know, the idea that there is a ton of people in Judea during this time. They are waiting, and the buzz is going around. Where's Jesus? I've heard about this Jesus guy. I've come from a long way away. I want to see this guy. Is he really everything he says he is? Well, thank goodness he has some PR, PR people that are going to help him capitalize on the buzz that's going around. You know, the, 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 the PR people, these faithful advisors who are discontent with the self-promotion of Jesus, and so they're seeking to help him to see the opportunities that he's missing. Look at verse 3. So his brothers <laughs> said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see your works that you're doing, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Now here, listen to this. What do his brothers think he's trying to do here? Didn't they just say it? We think, Jesus, that you're really interested in making a name for yourself. No one works in secret if, if they're really interested in becoming somebody. They do it openly. That's, that's their thing. They also want to play off of Jesus. They want to glean off of Jesus. They want to receive some of the glory of Jesus. They're discontent with the way that Jesus is living his life. You have brothers and sisters like that? Have brothers and sisters that are discontent with your life? They don't like the fact that you're serving the King of Kings and the way that you're living your life. Why can't you be like you were when we lived together? Why can't you do this or that? We're not satisfied with the way that you are. You should be doing this and that. His brothers were like that. For they didn't believe. They didn't believe in Him. They didn't receive Him as who He claimed to be. Now, now check this out. What in the world would it be like to be a sibling of Jesus? You could see where maybe this would come to play. I mean, are you serious? You're just walking down the street and you're like, so you're Jesus' brother, huh? You're like, hey, why don't you do something for me, you know? Or you're, you know, you're, you're in your house and kids, you're trying to tell your parents, man, I don't feel good today. I don't really want to go to, go to, work, go to school or anything like that. And, and what does your mom do? She says, well, hold on a second. Hey, Jesus, can you come lay hands on James? He, he's sick today and we need him to be uh, healed. And you're like, dang it, I can't get away with anything. You know, the, the, the proverbial you know, broken lamp scenario where you know, mom comes and she hears the crash and everybody's sitting on the couch like this and everybody goes, no, she did it. Who did it? No, I don't know what happened. No, nothing. I, I don't know. Any, in those moments, she just says, hey, Jesus, can you come in here for a second? And she lines them up like criminals. And he says, can you point the one out? He could do that. You know, to be the brother of Jesus, to be the sibling of Jesus, that would be super hard. He did everything right. Your parents would always say, why can't you just be more like Jesus? I mean, he never does this stuff. Come on. Being the sibling of Jesus would be hard. But what's funny here, what is hilarious about this? He's their older brother, by the way. Hey, let me just sidetrack for a second. Jesus had brothers, okay? Like, there's a lot of people in the Catholic world that would say Jesus didn't have brothers because Mary never had relations with anyone. She's still a virgin. Listen, I don't see anywhere in the Scripture where it says Joseph took a, a vow of celibacy when he married her. It tells us that he has brothers. 
why would we assume that that came from another relationship from Joseph? I mean, that's ridiculous. Why would we not just accept the natural means by which children come into the world? Oh, by the way, let me really blow your mind. He had sisters too, the Bible says. Matthew chapter 13. Why would we refute that? It's, it's ridiculous. But his brothers now, having grown up under Jesus, now they think that they can advise him. They can help him capitalize on all of this. And they're hearing the buzz about Jesus and everything, and they say, Jesus, leave here and go up to Judea, man. Go do some of, some of those works you've been doing on the outskirts of Galilee where nobody's around. Take them center stage. Take them to Jerusalem. You want to really, really get your name out there, Jesus? Take your show on the road. Take it to Jerusalem. Circus life under the big top world. You know the verse, you know the song, we all need the clowns to make us laugh, make us smile. But the brothers, that's a Journey reference. If you're not, you're not familiar with Journey, I'm sorry. I got to throw those in there every once in a while. But anyway, his brothers are, are telling him, come on, Jesus, make your name openly known. That wasn't Jesus' M.O. He wasn't here to make his name open known to the world. He was here to do the will of the Father. You see, the Father would make him famous. Jesus didn't have to make himself famous. The Father would make him famous. And so he's just doing the Father's will. And we see that because he's submissive to the will and the timing of God, as we talked about last week. He's submissive to that idea. But check this out. His brothers say, notice, they say, if you do these things, if you do these miracles, then show the world. Listen, these guys were not trying to promote the office, the messianic office of Jesus. They weren't trying to promote the fact that he was Messiah. They didn't believe in that. They were trying to promote the miracle man, Jesus. They wanted to capture the limelight. They wanted to gain the applause of men, but Jesus was only concerned about the, the applause of one, his father. His brothers didn't yet believe in him as Messiah. And I say yet, because eventually they would. But it would take his death and his resurrection for, for that to happen. And I tell you that there are people in your life right now, maybe family members, friends that you know, that it is going to take something tragic for them to come to Christ. But praise God that they might, that they would come to Christ. God will go to great lengths to save us. He will use even the most evil, wicked things in the world to draw people to himself during those times. God is in control, so we can rest in that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what's going on in our, in our family's lives. His brothers would eventually believe in him. In fact, James and Jude, they would become writers of the New Testament. James would become the head of the church in Jerusalem. And yet here, they don't believe. They're taunting Jesus. They're saying, hey, Jesus, stop playing around with the kiddie stuff and, and let's capitalize on the hype while we can because you're going to be found out. You're a fake. You're not who you say you are, but, but let's try and capitalize on it now. But Jesus tells them, my time has not yet come. What time is he speaking about? He's talking about the time when Jesus would be most glorified in the world, when he would become a public spectacle, as it were, being executed 
like a criminal by way of the cross. Jesus was referencing the time when he would give up his life for all of humanity, when he would lay down his life for the sake of many. The brothers of Jesus think his fame and glory should come now by way of miracle. And Jesus says, oh no, you haven't seen anything yet. Wait till I die and rise again from the dead. You want to see a miracle? Wait till I die and rise again from the dead. Oh, by the way, religious leader, you want to see a sign? Watch me die and rise again from the dead. That's the only sign I will give you. You want to see a sign? Watch me rise. That is the greatest moment of Jesus' life. The, most, the greatest moment in his life the, where he gained the most fame when he was suffering the most. It's when he was crucified on the cross. When he was laid in a tomb. Oh, he, was, he became famous then. Everybody in Jerusalem was talking about that. Hey, that Jesus guy that's, that did all those miracles or whatever, he's dead. They crucified him. He's laying in a tomb now. Oh, but he said he would rise again on the third day. Yeah, we'll see about that. And he did. Whoa. Some of us look at our suffering in our lives and we think like, God, there's no point to this. Why are you putting me through this? And I tell you, because it's a megaphone. Because that is, a, that is um, the, the microphone that you're speaking to the world the loudest when you are suffering the most. When you're going through it and the world is all eyes on you and they say, how can you get through this? Because the Lord is helping me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't despise your suffering. God is using it in, in big ways, in, in bigger ways than you could ever even imagine. Jesus said, it was not my time. But your time, he says, it's always here. What is he saying? He's telling his brothers that they're, they're just wrapped up in the world, man. Their time is now. Their time is always now because they're in operation of, they're on their, the program of, of uh, the flesh. They're on their, it's the self program. It's I'm going to do whatever I want to do program. That's the program of now. I'm not waiting on God's time. I'm on the, I'm on the, the self program. I'm going to do it now myself. That's the program his brothers were on. Jesus goes on to tell them, the world can't hate you because you're of the world. You're just like them. You're walking. Listen, why would they hate you? You're, you're just going with the flow. You're doing the exact same things everybody else is doing. But me, I'm swimming up current. I'm going against the grain. That's what he calls us to do, to go against the grain. Listen, this world is flowing along. And, and there are things that are being thrown into this little river, uh, things that are contrary to God's Word, and, and people in the church are somehow swept up in the current, and they're going with the flow. What are you doing? What are you doing? Jesus didn't call us to go with the flow. He called us to go against the flow. He told us that we are not of the world, but we're called to go in the world. Why are you sucked into the current? Don't allow yourself to be sucked in the current. The time is not now. The time is when he says it's time. That's what Jesus was doing. He was on God's program. He was following the will of the Father. And when you're on God's program, listen to me, you will become an enemy of the world. The world will hate you because it hates him. 
because you're standing up against what the world says. Now, let me just say this about the will and the timing of God. Just because opportunity knocks on your door doesn't mean it's the will of God and the timing of God. You know that? You ever been praying that? Like, Lord, you know, I just, I need this to really happen and everything. And, 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 and you know, and, and, and all of a sudden it does. And, and, and you know, and you're like, oh, that's the Lord, totally. Is it? I mean, just because someone's in need, you know, does that, and the opportunity is there for you. Does that mean you're the one that's supposed to step into that role? Because you've been praying, Lord, help me to help people? I would say be careful. That's walking by circumstance. That's walking, saying, well, Lord, is asking the Lord to do something, and he hasn't said, maybe he's given you his will. Yeah, I'm going to take you down that road. And so you just start, like I did, you start to formulate the plan. And you just look at how this is all falling into place, Lord. I mean, I'm working really hard at it, but it's all falling into place. I mean, I'm making the calls and I'm banging on the doors and I'm being persistent to make it happen, but boy, it's all you, Lord. Is it? Is it the Lord? The Lord may have spoken something to you, but there is that time that we also need to wait upon Him. Have you heard from Him? Have you heard from Him? Is it, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a prime example of um, when you think you're being used by the Lord and you're not in my own life. One time my dad, my dad went through all kinds of stuff and he, got, he had been in prison you know, a couple times and, and uh, one time he, he, got out of, he got out of prison and he was, um, he, was, you know, they, he, he didn't have a place to stay. So he was staying at a, a, a homeless shelter kind of thing. And you know, my dad would call me up and he was just like, man, I'm being, I'm being so blessed. I'm seeing God move. And, you know, and I'd been praying for my dad. God, show him, reveal himself to you, you know. I want to help him, but Lord, I don't want to be an enabler, you know. So grab a hold of his life. And so my dad was calling me up during this period of time and telling me all the great things the Lord was doing and how he was showing himself. And, and all of a sudden, I took that to mean, oh, well, that means I need to step in and help him financially. And I need to get him a place, and I need to do all this stuff. Me, I got to do that. And so I did. And do you know what the Lord said to me? You just got in my way. You ever, you ever said that kid? You want to talk about a dagger in the heart? Oh, but it was good. I thought I was doing good. I thought it was doing the right thing, Lord. No, but, but you just got in my way. You just, got, you just messed up what I was trying to do in your dad. So I say all that to say, listen, just because the opportunity knocks on your door doesn't mean it's the Lord. Be careful as you walk in the world to be submissive to him, to his voice, not the submissive to everybody else's voice. Oh, look at, look at what the Lord's doing. It's clearly him. The enemy can put things into place just as fast as the Lord can. So be careful. Make sure it's God. And I'm not trying to confuse you. Like, how do I know when it's God and when it's not God? You'll know. It's his voice. You can hear his voice. You know his voice. John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They hear it. They know it. So listen for it. What I'm saying is don't assume. Make sure it's the Lord. God, I want to I I serve you, but I have to be submissive to his will and to his timing. That's what Jesus was doing, man. He was saying, I'm here and I know what my job is. He had no question. He said right here, my time has not yet come. He knew exactly what he was called to do, but he was on the hold. And he was waiting on the Lord. And yet the Lord releases him very quickly, doesn't he? 
This feast is only seven days. We find out in verse 14 that Jesus shows up midway through. So from the time his brothers had a conversation with Jesus to the time that he actually went through Samaria, which it took a couple days, it couldn't have been that long. He just got done saying, my time has not yet come. And yet then we find out he goes because the Lord told him. He wasn't waiting on the voice. He wasn't, he wasn't walking in obedience to the voice of his brothers. He was walking in obedience to the voice of the Lord. And I would, I would share that with you today, that you need to walk obedient to the voice of the Lord and him alone and not some advisor or, or anyone else. Jesus tells his brothers, listen, I'm not going to go up in this caravan of hype to Jerusalem with you guys. I'm not going. And so he waited upon the Father. Now we find this next people group in verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said he's a good man. Now, actually at this point, like I said, is where Jesus' brothers had gone up. And then Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62, the journey to Jerusalem by way of Samaria. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now that phrase, as I talked about last week, when, um, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, when, when he was going to ascend to heaven, that's what that's talking about. So he has to die first. So he knows that he's got to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be crucified, that he's going to die, but he's going to rise again from the dead, and then he's going to ascend to his father. He set his face towards Jerusalem. It tells us that the timing, the Lord had told him, now is the time. Now you go. But it wasn't based on what his, um, what his brother said. And so uh, they begin their travel through Samaria. Meanwhile, in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, it tells us, are wondering where Jesus is. There's no discussion going on within them. They've already had these discussions. They're waiting for him to show up so they can arrest him and so that they can kill him. All the, do the, the guards are no doubt on high alert. They're going to trap Jesus in some way and they're going to arrest him and then they're going to kill him. But again, it's impossible for that to happen until, guess what? The Lord says so. I hope you have confidence today in your, in your, in your life and everything that's going on. We sang a song earlier that talks about the, the confidence we can have in God that, that nothing can happen to us without Him allowing it in our lives. Nothing can take us from His hand. He's sovereign in your life. And trust me, He's at work. Whether you can see it or not, He is at work. Jesus, they're, they're waiting for Jesus to show up here. And, and, and what ends up happening is we see that people are dividing over Jesus. People have always divided over Jesus. The world today is dividing over Jesus. Who is Jesus? Here we find the second group of people that are muttering about Jesus, the deferent, those who admire, those who respect Jesus. They are caught up in the hype of the miracle man. They want to meet him. They want to see these miraculous things that he can do with, his, with their very own eyes. They are, they are like the discontent brothers. They are deferently, they're, they're, they're clear, they clearly don't understand who Jesus is, just like his brothers didn't. They had no clue who Jesus was. They just thought he was a man. They thought he was his brother. And they thought he was kind of a fraud, actually. They, they thought, oh, he could do these things. But man, you know, you're a lunatic. They even called him crazy one time. These people in this group, 
They respect Jesus, but they still don't understand who he is. Now, they call him a good man. Now, hear me out on this. This is probably the most ignorant statement someone can make about Jesus. Jesus was a good man. What do you mean by that? Like he was a good man, like in in the sense of what? Well, he did a lot of good things. Do you have any clue who Jesus claimed to be? Let me ask you a question. If somebody walked up to you on the street and they claimed to be God, and they claimed to be Messiah, and they claimed to be, uh, you know, all these things, and yet you don't really think they are, would you call him a good man? Would you say, yeah, he's a good man? But he's a liar. If he's not everything he said he is, then he's a liar because he claimed all this stuff. How can you call him a good man? You know, how can you say something like that? It's ignorant. It's, you might as well just say, I don't really have any clue who Jesus is at all. Now, was, was he a good man? Did he do good things? Absolutely, he did, but that wasn't his identity. His identity isn't in the fact that he was a good man. He was either the God-man or he was a liar. None of us would call a liar a good man. He tells us that he's God. He claims to be God. I just gave you a couple references earlier. John chapter 10, I'll give you one more. Here's another I am statement. I am the good shepherd. He's claiming to be God right there. That's not where I'm going to take you though. John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33. Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. Now he's claiming equality with God. He is God. That's what he's saying. The Jews pick up stones again to stone him. Jesus answers him, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Now check this out. The Jews answered him, it is not for your good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man make yourself God. Oh, he was a good man. But he said he was God. And if you don't think he's God, then he's not a good man. They clearly understood Jesus to claim himself as God here. And so it would be ridiculous to claim him as a good man. He's no good man. He's either the God man like he claimed he is, or he is a liar. He's either um, everything he said he was or he's nothing at all. You can't pick and choose that. And if he's not everything he says he is, then he's not fit to be your savior, is he? Not everybody felt like Jesus was a good man, though. There were those also that felt like he was a deceiver. These are the despisers. Look at verse 12. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray for the fear of the Jews. No one spoke openly. On the other hand, you have, on one hand, you have these people who call Jesus another, uh, a good man. On the other hand, you have those who, call, uh, who, who despise him and call him a deceiver, a person who leads uh, people astray. There are many of those in our day today. There are many of those who deceive people in thinking they are something that they are not. There were many in Jesus' day. There were many became, before Jesus. There were many after Jesus. Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, he tells us, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. There have been many 
And I tell you, there have been many that claim themselves to be Christ. Now, do you know what that word means? Christ. It means the anointed one. It means the anointed one. There are many who claim themselves to be the anointed one. Many people, many people fill pulpits that call themselves anointed ones. And, and, and then they teach opposite of what God's word says. You know, they tell you like, oh yeah, you know, uh, it's totally acceptable to be homosexual. That's no problem. Yeah, you can drink all you want. Go for it, man. You know, oh, you know, God's not really interested in the day-to-day in your life. So don't worry about how licentious you're living. No big deal. Listen, if there's a sin in the Bible, there's somebody standing out there deceiving you, telling you it's okay to do it. There are many people that claim the anointing of God that are have the anointing of the devil upon them that are that are speaking things that are contrary to the word of the lord people in in our day and age you know this whole thing about living together fornication you know i got we you know we're we're, the bible's ancient man that doesn't have anything to do with me today (laughs) what so what part of it is is not ancient then is the idea that Jesus came to die for us, is that ancient? Does that not apply today? You can't pick and choose what the Word says. You have to take it all or you can't take any of it. And many, many people today are picking and choosing. Yeah, it's totally acceptable. I mean, come on. This is the 21st century, man. It's okay to live together. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you can have sex before you have marriage. No big deal. God's all right with that. He wants to try out your partner, you know. What? What are you talking about? Contrary to the word of God. Contrary to the word of God, therefore it is not God. God is not the author of confusion. He doesn't contradict himself. He says what he means and he means what he says, okay? So there were, there were those people who were standing there saying, Jesus is a deceiver, he's a liar. He tells people that he's something that he is not. Now look down to verse 20 real quick. There are also other people there that tell us that they think Jesus is of the devil, that he's, he's demon-possessed. We would call that person a madman, a crazy person. you got all these different people, all these different people telling, expressing their opinions about who Jesus is, and yet nobody's done the work. Did Jesus not, did Jesus not do a good enough job explaining who he is? Or were people just not listening? I think it's the latter. People weren't listening. He was very clear about who he is. He's very clear for those who truly wanted to know that he was very clear about who he is. And it's the unbelief that would block the truth from those. And notice it tells us, I want to deal with this passage real quick. Um, Nobody spoke openly for fear of the Jews. Do you know that's the biggest ploy of the devil? Is to stop you from speaking about Jesus to keep your mouth shut about Jesus. Hey, it's great that you accepted Jesus, but you need to keep your mouth shut about it, and I'll do, I'm going to put fear upon you. They pass laws in our country that it's against the law. If they, if they were to ever pass a law that says it's against the law to tell people about Jesus, what are you going to do? That's the devil trying to stop you from, from giving people hope. That's what the devil does. He robs people of hope. He destroys them. And here he's keeping them silent about Jesus. And I would say in many, many places today, he's doing the same. 
People aren't speaking about Jesus for fear of some enemy. And yet there are many giving their lives up for Jesus as they proclaim the gospel to people. Let that be said of you. Don't be afraid in your office. Don't be afraid in your neighborhood. Don't be afraid in the grocery line. When God tells you to speak to somebody, speak the name Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. You never know how that's going to affect somebody's life. God may call them into relationship in that moment and they may be willing to say, Lord, I'm yours. You don't know. Be obedient to him. Speak his word. He told us. He commanded us. Go into all the world and tell people about me. Teach them. Disciple them. You can't be on the fence about who Jesus is. This text is forcing us to make a decision about Jesus. To use C.S. Lewis's terms, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He said in his book, Mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He, was not, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. It's powerful. Because it's true. Jesus can't just be a good guy. Jesus can't just be a good teacher. He is either everything he claimed he is, or he is a fraud. And the question is this morning, who do you say that he is? Is he liar, lunatic, or Lord to you? Is he everything that he claimed to be? Is he the Alpha and the Omega in the beginning and the end? Is he the great I am? Is Jesus equal to, to God? The discontent, they don't believe Jesus is anything special, but they want to capitalize on his name. They want to capitalize on his fame. They want some limelight. The deferent, they think Jesus is a good guy. And, and the deceivers, they think Jesus is a liar and a cheat. And that he's leading people astray. And there's, there's much muttering going on about Jesus. Everybody's talking about, but nobody's listening to him. I pray that you've listened today. I pray that you've heard who Jesus himself claims himself to be. He can't be just a good guy. He's either God in the human flesh or he's a fraud and a liar. You have to determine that in your own mind today. You have to ask yourself, is Jesus truly Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And for the powerful 
powerful testimony of who Jesus is. Jesus claimed to be God in human flesh. He claimed to be the only way to heaven. He claimed to be the Lamb of God. He claimed to be God in the flesh. This morning amongst us, Lord, there are many who question who Jesus is exactly. And now your word has come forth and we know exactly who he is. He is God in the flesh. He is the divine man who came down to pay for our sin. Yes, he was human. Yes, he was subject to the same power and the Holy Spirit that we have, but he was also fully God at the same time. Let us not allow our incapacity to understand that hinder us from believing by faith in who Jesus said he is. Lord, as we come to the table this morning and we think about exactly who Jesus claimed to be, the weight of that testimony that God came down wasn't just a man, but God came down because there was no other way. He was crucified on a cross. He was brutalized. He bled from almost every port in his body. His flesh was ripped off of his body as he was being beaten, being brutalized by sinful man. And then he hung on the cross. Even from the cross, he was crying out, Father, forgive them. That's not what they do. They don't know they're crucifying God. This is a necessary thing. It's the only way for man to be made right with me. Lord, help us to see you as God in the flesh today. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, before we move forward in this communion time where we're remembering the sacrifice, not corporately in the sense of all of us together, but it's a personal thing. It's each one of us individually going before your throne at your table, remembering what Jesus did for us personally. Your word says, that if, and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. It's a short prayer, it's a simple prayer, but it requires total surrender. And apart from having relationship with you, we ought not be taking communion even. But you want to give us an opportunity this morning for anyone who needs to have a relationship with you that they would just call upon your name right now and they would say, Father, I'm believing in Jesus today. Not simply as a good man. Not as a guy that died for a good cause. But as God who came down and was crucified on a cross for me personally. For my sin. And who rose again from the dead personally for me.
And I receive that even now, Lord. I receive the salvation that comes by faith in believing in Jesus. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning to you right now, Father. Take me and wash me and make me clean. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a Christian. For the rest of us, Father, who are preparing our hearts for communion, that we are faced with the same question. Is Jesus everything he said he is? Or are we just going through the motions this morning? God came down. God came down for us. May we come before the table with, with rejoicing, grateful for all that you've done. And Lord, if there's anything in our hearts even right now that we've done, maybe even on the way to church this morning, help us to confess our sin, Lord, to be made right with you, to repent and to turn back to you. If our life is not what you call our life to be, would you help us now to surrender it back to you? Maybe we've taken up our own reins again. Lord, before we move into communion, would you help us to get right with you? We love you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.